Turn with me in your Bibles to James chapter 5 this morning. We'll be in James 5, looking in verses 1 through 6. We have been looking at this combination of uh, faith in application. How, how do we take the faith that we believe and put it into practice? How do we live our faith? And today we're going to be talking about living with wealth. Some of you are excited about that because you don't think you're all that rich. Uh, well, yeah, it, it's going to apply to you too. Just when you think you get out of the range of, of God uh, speaking because he's speaking to a particular group and you think, well, I'm not in that group, so that doesn't really apply to me. Just when you think you're safe, uh, God's word hits even harder than you imagine and you realize you're not safe at all. Um, so so I, I know this will... Um, this will have implications on you whether whether you feel like you're rich or not. So living with wealth, uh, James chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. Stand with me as we read the word of God together. You know, this is God's word. And if you let it, it will change your life. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you have kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fatted, fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Pray with me. Father, may we take these words to heart. In Christ's name, amen. Be seated. Oh boy, here we go. If you were wanting a feel-good message, I'm sorry, you came on the wrong Sunday. This is not a very feel-good message. Um, James is putting on the prophet's hat here. In fact, if, if, you, if you listen to the text, you'll hear some of that prophetic sort of notes to it. Um, uh, if you, have you ever heard someone who plays music in the style of another person? An Elvis impersonator, for instance, that will dress like Elvis, he'll talk like Elvis, thank you very much, and all that kind of stuff. And, and he'll, he'll, he'll act like Elvis, he'll sing Elvis songs and do Elvis type emotions and that sort of thing. James is putting on the prophet's hat. He is a prophet impersonator in a way. He's taking the prophetic style and the prophetic voice and he's speaking with it in this passage. He uses the same uh, uh, way uh, that he just talked about in in verses 13 through 17 of chapter 4. Come now. He starts with that same entrance and but then it, it totally goes in a different direction because instead of urging a people who has forgotten God to put him at the center... He is now addressing a people who have deliberately, who have deliberately opposed God. And there's no, there's no just call for repentance here. Though that's part of why he's speaking this way. This is a condemnation. And, and, and it really all boils around the fact that these certain, certain individuals have, have, have made a critical error in their judgment. What they've really done is they put wealth as the center of their trust. 
And that's a, that is a, that is an easy trap to fall into, whether you have wealth or not, whether you have tons of stuff or not. It's easy to put your trust in wealth. And the fact is that we cannot do that. We must not put our trust in wealth. And James is going to show us why. And in fact, not only is he going to show us why, but he's going to take us on a little journey. So we're all, we are all going to be Doctor Who's for the day. We're going to time travel in our TARDIS and, and, and move to different times and see how our wealth is not trustworthy and how we must not put our trust in our wealth. All right? Y'all ready to time travel a little bit? Let's start in the future. We must not trust our wealth because the wealth presents us with an agony of the future. There is a future agony awaiting those who put their trust in their wealth. And he talks about this in verse 1. Come now, you rich. Now, the concept of rich is not just economic. The concept of rich goes beyond just mere uh, uh, net worth. It goes beyond what assets you have minus what liabilities you owe. It's, It's not that kind of a concept, though that's part of it. The biblical concept often ties wealth, the, the, the possession of a lot of wealth, with wickedness. And the reason is, is because we're people and we screw up. And when we get wealthy, whether we're a little bit wealthy or a lot of bit wealthy, whether we feel like we're wealthy compared to other people, or whether we're just, we're just filthy rich and nobody even comes close to us, it doesn't matter. Because what we start to do is we start to put trust in things. Sometimes even things that we don't have yet. Oh, if I just had a better this. If I just had a newer that. If I just had whatever it might be. We begin to put our trust in those things. And it only leads to a future of agony. Come now, you rich. This verse 1. Weep and howl. Most versions put it this way. Uh, I think the Darby Bible uh, uh, puts it weep, wailing. It's actually a combination of two words. The first word, weep, is a command. The second word, how, represents a word that describes how you weep. In other words, you're weeping, howling, wailing. Uh, um, one, uh, one book that I read, uh, Reinecker and Rogers, call this a violent grief. The theological dictionary of the New Testament is this huge, I think it's like 10 volume set. It talks about this word, and it it refers to this word as indicating how the rich will see their treasures come to nothing. We'll talk about that in a second. And how that realization will bring dread and horror to those who have put their trust in those things. This isn't just a cry because it's sad. Your world has been devastated. I thought of the game of Jenga. Y'all know Jenga. Jenga, the blocks. You, you have sets of blocks that are lined up, and you got to try to take a block out and put it back on top without making the tower fall. And at first, it's easy, right? You just take out a certain block, and there's an easy one right there. You just kind of poke right through, and no problem. You start to get one or two or three more, and you can't pull from the very top, so you can't just like pick one up and put it right back down. you got to pull from somewhere down, down the line a little bit. And there's that horror when it starts rocking back and forth. Oh no. Imagine if that tower was everything to you. It wasn't just a game. But imagine how much more horrific it would be to watch that crumble and fall. 
this uh, uh, just yesterday I listened to an interview with a parent their marine son in Afghanistan this week and he said when around 7 whatever time it was 7 7:30 something like that in the evening he saw on his phone they have one of those doorbells where you can see you know it's got the camera and you can see on your phone who's at the door he saw on his phone a couple of figures begin to walk up and they were far enough away he couldn't quite tell who they were but when they got a little bit closer he saw that they were marines and he knew it was bad he said his world changed in that moment and of course they were coming to tell him that his son had died in the terror attack that just happened a few days ago it's that kind of terror that the rich are experiencing it's that kind of agony that lies in the future to those who put their trust in wealth we must not trust in our wealth you see these folks had made their riches their god and if we're not careful so will we we cannot put our trust in wealth it only leads to an agony of the future but james isn't this isn't the first time james has said this verse uh, chapter 1 verse 9 let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation because like a flower of the grass he will pass away for the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass its flower falls and its beauty perishes so also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits there is nothing but agony in the end for the one who makes wealth their god we must not put our trust in wealth but you don't have to wait for the future let's let's back up in our time machines a little bit back to the present because not only is there an agony of the future there's a decay of the present verse 2 your riches have rotted you ever seen an apple after a few days of sitting out like it's been eaten you know a couple bites taken out of it and it's sitting there and it's rotted the other day i'm not going to name which 9 year old did it um but there was a peach brought a peach and he was eating it they 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 had snacks after school or whatever he got one and he 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 left it in the the car in in the um in the door handle you know where you put it the cup holder that's in the door handle of the car and um a couple days later i was like that's got to go <laughs> that's not going to work that's got to go and he goes to get it and he's like you it's like yeah that's got to go your riches have rotted they're disgusting not only that your garments are moth eaten i got some clothes one time from someone uh they had they had they had died and family said hey we found some dress shirts they look like about your size you want to try them i said sure i tried one of them on i looked down and there's a couple of holes in it and i try to make a habit of not wearing swiss cheese for clothes so but but they had been moth eaten like they had sat for so long that bugs had started to eat through them they're not going to last now maybe maybe if you put cedar in the closets it takes a little longer but they're not going to last your gold verse 3 and your silver have corroded interestingly this word in verse 3 for corroded is is literally rust and and you think to yourself well gold and silver don't rust no they don't but the idea is the same they're wasting away the statue of liberty y'all know y'all know what metal it's made of copper now copper ain't green 
unless it's been out for a while, it's corrosion. The outside of the Statue of Liberty is corrosion. That's why it's green. And if you clean it, then only more, more of it will get corroded and it will further weaken the structure. So they have to leave it green. I think that's kind of a, 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 an interesting picture of what happens to a culture over time. Once glistening, once bright, once pure, and now is corroding because it's not protected. I, I think I'll leave that there. I think that speaks enough. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion, listen to this, will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. The verbs here, rotted, moth-eaten, corroded, they're all in the perfect tense. Now, the perfect tense, I've said before, is it's a completed action with an ongoing consequence. It describes a state of being. These things are rotted. They have completely rotted. This is where I said that James is putting on the prophet hat, that he's, that he's, he's prophet impersonating here because he's, he's speaking in a way that the prophets would speak. He's using a future perfect form of the verb in the present tense in order to show the certainty of it happening. He looks with the prophet's eye and he sees it is for sure and he declares it to be so even though there may not be any physical evidence available to the eye to show that that's yet the case. It doesn't matter. God's already decreed it. And once it's decreed by God, it is settled. It's only a matter of time before we see it happen. That's what he's saying here. Just like Jonas or Amos or, or Jonah or Amos or, or Micah, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah. All the prophets could look forward to a future and know with certainty. He's, he's looking at the future. He's seeing the agony. He's seeing the end result. And it's so certain he says it's already happening now. In fact, not only does the, rust, the, the wealth that they trust in fail them, it testifies against them. It serves as a witness in the courtroom of God. Verse 3 says that the corrosion will be evidence against you. In other words, the fact that this stuff is rotting, eaten by moths, corroding, is evidence that you're not using it. You're hoarding it. You're storing it for yourself. Now, let's be honest here. How many of us have bell bottoms or some sort of uh, baby blue uh, tuxedo from the 80s or something like that that doesn't fit anymore and hasn't fit in years, but we still have it anyway? Y'all... Either, either y'all just cleaned out your closets like a short time ago or you're, you're just don't want to admit it. It's okay. I'm picturing George in a, in a baby blue tux. I think he could, I think he could, I, I don't know. I don't know that anybody could pull it off, but I think you'd probably be the closest one of us though. I know I couldn't. The Greek literally says that it will witness. It will take the stand and provide witness against these rich ones. Instead of using it for God's glory, instead of doing something with it that would help needy brothers, instead of doing something with it that would further the kingdom of God, that would provide ministry in a community that needs it, instead of doing those things, they're hoarding it for themselves, and that corrosion, that, that, that moth eating, those holes in those garments, and, and, and that rotting and that rusting and that fading away and that decay that's happening in all their wealth, it's the evidence that they're disobeying God. They put their trust in the wrong thing. And it's decaying right before their eyes. 
if they'll open their eyes to see it. They acquired it in, we'll see in a moment, wicked ways. They hoard it. And why? Because they're counting on it. They need these things. Need. You don't have to be extremely wealthy to fall into the trap, can you? I need that. I really need that new thing because this old thing doesn't work so well anymore. Mitchell came the other day and said, my book bag has a hole in it. I need a new book bag. I was like, well, look, look, Mama and I will take a look at it. Because if the hole in your book bag is something that can be easily fixed, you, you don't necessarily need a new book bag, right? We fall into this trap of thinking, well, there's something wrong with it, so we got to get rid of it. There's something wrong with the car that we just bought last year, so now we got to buy a new one this year. Maybe you're not that bad. Maybe you wait two years. You see, what happens is we put our trust in the temporal things, and by trusting in the temporal, we ignore the, the eternal. We ignore the things that are spiritual. Jesus put it this way in Matthew 6, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He says, for these guys, their treasure is their God and their heart's right there. But how did he get to this point? How did he get to that point where they were so trusting in the temporal things that are wasting away that their future is certain destruction and agony? Well, for that, we got to take another trip in our time machine. Maybe, maybe you don't like Doctor Who. Maybe you're more of a back to the future type. So this time, we're going to get in the DeLorean. We're going we're, we're gonna, to we're gonna hit 88 miles an hour and we're going to go back to the past. And there we find some abuse. Three specific abuses. Verse 4. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you have kept back by fraud. There are withheld wages. The first abuse is withheld wages. The blood of Abel cried out when Cain spilt it on the ground in Genesis 4. The Israelites cried out from Egypt under the oppressive yoke of Pharaoh who did not know Joseph. In Exodus chapter 1. Throughout the book of Judges, multiple times, Israel is oppressed by foreign enemies and they cry out to God for help. When people are crying out to God, you know things are bad, but they are even worse when your sin itself is crying out to God. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back from fraud, by fraud, are crying out against you. There are only four things in Scripture four sins that are said to cry out to God and this is one instance you withholding the wages of laborers cries out to God against you so we just saw in the courtroom that your, your wealth that's wasting away and decaying as we speak testifies against you as a witness but who's the prosecutor the prosecutor are the wages that you've held back now you might be thinking I don't withhold people's wages but these ones did. They refused to pay their workers. Now in that day, when you did honest work, you needed pay that day. It wasn't like now where you could get paid every couple weeks or every month or whatever it might be. I have, I, I, at Chick-fil-A, I get paid every two weeks. Carrie gets paid once a month. We, we budget the money and we make it through like that. In their day, they needed the wage that day in order to eat. 
that day. It wasn't a middle-class sort of situation where you could bide your time for a few days as long as you eventually got it. As long as payday came around every week or two or every month, then you were okay. It wasn't like that. They weren't just living paycheck to paycheck. They were living day to day. If you ate that night, depended on whether you got a job and got paid for that day. And so by withholding wages for a day, they were not only causing hardship, they were causing these people not to be able to eat. And worse than that, to feed their families. How many of these guys went home to a wife and kids and said, I'm sorry, he wouldn't pay me. I, I, I don't have anything for food. We can't go buy what we need. I'm sorry, guys. Maybe we can scrounge something from yesterday. Maybe there's a little bit here that we can... This is stealing. And it's not just, I'm going to pay you tomorrow. I don't have it today. Let me go sell the stuff that you guys harvested today and I'll pay you tomorrow. It wasn't that. It was, I'm, I got no intention on paying you. Yeah, 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 I'll pay you. I'll pay you. I'll pay you. Yeah, come work for me. You work. And then he says, no, nope. You didn't meet your quota. You didn't do a good enough job. You're going to have to work harder tomorrow. This was expressly forbidden in the law of God. Leviticus, Deuteronomy, both have, both state laws that you must pay a laborer that day. But they have no intention on it. Second thing I want you to note, though, is what happens next. It says at the end of verse 4 that the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. God hears those cries for justice. Sometimes we cry out to God because of injustice perpetrated against us. Can I, can I give you something comforting in the midst of a condemning message? God hears those cries for justice, and he will respond. So there's the withhold wages. One abuse. Second abuse is in verse 5. It is the indulged pleasures. You have... He says in verse 5, lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. This isn't just living well because you've earned it. As Dave Ramsey says, you live like no one else so you can live like no one else, right? It's not just you've worked hard, you've earned it, and now you get to enjoy the fruits of your labor. That's not it. This self-indulgence here, this living in luxury, is off the backs of those workers you didn't pay. This living in luxury is because you've cheated somebody else. That's why you have this. It's because you didn't give it appropriately. You didn't pay the workers like you were supposed to. And now, instead of those workers having food for their families, they are hungry and starving while you're feasting and indulging yourself. But notice James's assessment. You're just like an animal who's eating and eating and eating and you're just fattening yourself up for the slaughter. That animal, I'm sure, thinks, man, I got the life here. I got all the food I want. There's a, there's a butcher knife coming. You think you're living the high life, but in the end, you're just dooming yourself for destruction. That's why the agony of the future isn't just, by the way, about them losing their treasures. It's about them losing their souls. The horror that comes from your wealth fading away and failing you in that end time, is not just the horror of you losing all the stuff. It's the horror of realizing that your life was wrapped up in all the stuff and now you've lost yourself too. That, that is the agony of that future day. Those indulging, that indulging in pleasure for today is temporary. 
It's like the stuff you're indulging in. The third abuse. You might call that the abuse of themselves. If, if verse 6 is the abuse of their workers, this is kind of the abuse of themselves. And then the third one in verse 6 is the condemned righteous. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person, he says. He does not resist you. Think about that. In the end, these rich people don't just mistreat others. They oppose righteousness. Not only righteousness, they oppose righteous ones. And not just righteous ones. They oppose the righteous one. Boy, was Jesus right when he said no one can serve two masters. You will love one. You'll hate the other. It's my paraphrase. Look at the end. You cannot serve God and money. By the way, you take the word money out and just put in wealth because it's true for all of wealth. Whether it's money or whether it's possessions or goods, whatever it might be, you just that you can put that on the end of that verse and it fits just as well. You cannot serve God and anything else. You'll end up only serving one. When you trust in wealth, whether you have a lot of it or not, you're really setting up an idol. So if we can't trust our wealth, how do we live with it? I, I read a statistic. Um, the federal poverty line in the United States is $12,880, excuse me, for a single person. goes up a little bit as you have more people in your household, but $12,880 a year. That's poverty line. 20% of Americans are at or below that level of income. Okay? You compare that to the rest of the world, though, that's high life. 86% of the world makes that or less. It's the bottom 20% here. You're in the top 20% worldwide if you're making that. Whether you think you have a lot of wealth or not, you have a lot of wealth. And so the question isn't, well, I'm not rich, this doesn't apply to me. The question is, how do I make sure that I'm not trusting in my wealth? What should I do instead? Well, how can I live with this wealth and put it in its proper place? Well, you don't trust in it. Instead, we must trust in God. We must put our trust in God. When we put our trust in God, we're going to deal appropriately with wealth. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Don't worry about the things. They're going to be added. God is going to take care of those. But you have to put your trust in him. Wealth is nothing but a tool for God's glory. Which means that when we are trusting in God and not in our stuff, we recognize that our stuff is to be used for Him because it's His stuff anyway. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. When we see it belonging to Him and we see that it's a tool that can be used to accomplish His purposes, we're liberated from the oppressive tyranny of having a master of our wealth. Instead, we trust in God and He shows us how to live with wealth. Paul puts that into practical terms. How, how do you live with the wealth? Practically. Here's what Paul told Timothy. As for the rich in this present age, he's, he's, he's talking to a pastor in Ephesus. Ephesus would have had a good number of Christians that were on the higher end. Ephesus was a wealthy city, lot of trade there, an important city in the Roman Empire, and so there would have been Christians in that church that probably would have been well-to-do in certain churches, that wouldn't have been as true, but here in Ephesus, it was certainly true. And so he says, well, when you're dealing with those people, Timothy, charge them not to be haughty. Don't be proud, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, 
who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. We put wealth in its proper perspective. That's the first thing we do. Second thing, verse 18. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. In other words, they don't hold it tightly because they're trusting in it. They hold it loosely because they're trusting in the God from whom it comes. I know that God can take care of me and so it doesn't matter if I have the latest and the greatest. It doesn't matter if I have ample supply. It doesn't matter if I don't have warehouses full of books or I don't have great cars or enormous houses or all that kind of stuff. That doesn't matter because it all comes from God and it all belongs to God and it's to be used for His glory. So I can be generous. I don't have to be stingy. I don't have to be overprotective. I don't have to worry that something's going to happen to it. Instead, I can just say, hey, have at it. You need it? Here. Don't, wor- don't, don't worry about rushing. Just use it. Whatever you need it for. What if I don't get it back? Oh, well, it's just stuff. What if it comes back broken? Oh, well, it's just stuff. What if someone else needs it and they end up giving it to them? Oh, well, it's just stuff. It doesn't matter. Not nearly so much as the God from whom it comes and the people with whom we are called to share. Now, does that mean communism? No, that doesn't mean communism. Government is terrible at this kind of thing. It's much better when we as the church do it because God has moved within our hearts. It works much better that way. Verse 19, he goes on. Thus, by doing these things, by being good, rich in good works and by, by, by being generous and ready to share and then those kinds of things, what we're doing is we're storing up treasure that's eternal. Storing up treasure for, us, for themselves as a good foundation for the future. Instead of having a future of agony, it sets up a future of prosperity and not just an earthly kind of prosperity, though maybe perhaps... Maybe perhaps God says, you know, the reason you don't have very much right now is because you ain't doing good things with what you got. To whom much is given, much is required, right? You show me that you can handle it, I will give you more. Sometimes that's, that's exactly how it happens. Other times we just wait for the end time and, and then we get the, the treasure that's really worth having. Because this, this treasure stuff here on earth, it's just not much. Gold glitters, it looks nice. You can buy you a lot of stuff, but it's still only temporary. Up in heaven, streets are paved with it. Think about that. Think about the fact that what we consider treasure here on earth is pavement in heaven. Boy, that puts a different perspective on it, doesn't it? So that they may take hold of that which is truly life. There's the real treasure. You want the real treasure? The real treasure is having real, true, eternal life we got to put our trust in God and not in our stuff. Maybe you find that sometimes you're wandering a little bit and you, you begin to trust in stuff. You begin to count on that shotgun or that door lock to protect you. You begin to count on that device or that possession to fulfill you, to entertain you, to give your life meaning and purpose. Those things can only come from God. Put your trust in Him. Hand it over to him, whatever it is. Be willing to destroy it, willing to throw it away, willing to give it away, willing to get rid of it, willing to put it in its proper place and trust him completely. I'll be up here at the front. I'd love to pray with you if you need prayer. For right now, we're, we're going we're to do an invitation. Jim, come on, Ms. Linda. And as we sing this song, you just trust God with everything. No matter how 
hard it might be to give up. I promise you. He's God. He's much better. He's the true treasure. So put your trust in Him. Pray with me. Father, this is your time. You do your will in our hearts. In Christ's name, amen.